everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the Israelites are going to begin dividing the land and taking possession of it. And we're going to talk about waiting on the Lord and working a little bit extra to get the things that we want. This is Joshua 13 through 17. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. So the Israelites have been waiting almost 500 years since God made the promise to Abraham. And it's been almost 50 years since God sent the first generation of Israelites into the land to spy it out. And so they've been waiting a long time to receive this land. And waiting is hard. It's difficult to wait on things. It's even more difficult to wait on things if it's completely unfair to you if you're waiting because of something that someone else did. So we're going to talk about that today. And then have any of you ever tried to complain to a 85-year-old man? How, how well does that go? How well do older people accept our complaint? They almost always have had it more difficult than us, and they don't want to listen to our whining, right? And so some of the Israelites encounter that with Joshua today. So those are the things we're going to be talking about. This is a very dense text, a lot of facts. Next week, we will talk about God's promises. So stick with me. This is talking a lot about the geography of the land, but it is interesting, especially since there's things going on in Israel today, and we want to know where this promised land was. So... Joshua is almost a hundred years old by the time that they finish this southern campaign and this northern campaign, these sweeping campaigns of the, the territory that God is giving to them. And God comes to Joshua and he said, you know, there's still a lot of land left to conquer. There's land on the coast and there's some land on the north that has yet to be conquered at all. And there are some various factions within the central parts of the land, but Joshua, you're getting old and it's time for you to get to settle down a little bit. Enjoy this land before you die. And so I want you to go ahead, divide it amongst the tribes and they can, they can defeat these people as they're going along in their, within their own, uh, tribes. And so. A little bit of history in case you missed some episodes before because there were some things that happened before this that matter. When the Israelites were on their way to the promised land initially, they asked the king of Sihon if they could pass through his land. And instead of allowing that, he came out and attacked them. And when he attacked them, um, the Israelites ended up defeating him and they took over his land, which was the land of Gilead. And this land covered, uh, it bordered the northern portion of the Salt Sea and then the Jordan River. And it covered the area between the Arnon River on the south and the Jabbok River on the north. And this was all of the Amorite land 
in what is present day Jordan. And so they defeated that king of Sihon and they got that land. Now to their south were the Moabites and to their east were the Ammonites. And those were Lot's children. And Lot was Abraham's nephew. And so even though they were not Israelites, they were from the family of Abraham. And God told them, you can't take any land from the family of Abraham. And so these two people lived there with them. And then even further south of the Moabites were the Edomites. And those people from Edom were Esau's family. And so if you remember, it was Abraham. And then Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. So this land is in the south is Esau's land. And the Israelites came from Jacob's line. The 12 tribes that he's giving this land to are the 12 sons of Jacob. And so this land, all of the land that was in present day Jordan belonged to these four families of Abraham at that time. And then this land that is also going to be Israel will also. And so after they defeated the Amorites, they traveled further north. And when they encountered Og, the king of Bashan, he also came out and attacked them and they also defeated him. And so they inherited the land of Bashan. And this land bordered the Sea of Galilee, and it encompassed all of what is now the Golan Heights and then part of southern Syria. And so the Israelites had all of this land that they were living in, and Reuben and Gad actually liked this land. They had a lot of livestock, and they said, this land is good for raising livestock. And so they asked Moses, instead of inheriting land on the western side of the Jordan, when we receive our inheritance, can it be this land? We like this land. And Moses said, yes, you can have this land, but you have to go over and you have to fight with your brothers and let them get their inheritance And when they receive their inheritance, you'll receive yours. And so this is that time. And then when uh, three of Manasseh's sons, when they heard this, they said, well, if they're getting land over here, we actually want the land of Bashan that's up in the north. Can we have that? And so Moses said, yes, same deal. If you go over and fight with them, then this will be your inheritance. And so Mocker, Jair, and Nobah, Those are the three sons of Manasseh. They decided to go and conquer some of the cities and villages there. And then all of these three or two and a half tribes, all of these people um, conquered lands and settled and built uh, cities in these lands. And then they got their families settled. And then everyone went over the Jordan River to fight for this other land. And they've been fighting for all these years. And now... Since Joshua is giving land to people, he says, I'll start with you guys because Moses has already given you land. And so the land that Reuben got was land that was on the eastern side of the Jordan River, the southern part of the Jordan River, and then the northern part of the Salt Sea. That was Reuben's land. And he had the Moabites and the Edomites to his south and then the Ammonites on his east. And then Moses was actually buried somewhere in Reuben's land. So that's a significant thing about Reuben's land. 
And then north of them were the Gadites, the people of Gad inherited the land just north of Reuben's land. And this would have been all of the rest of the land up to the Sea of Galilee that was bordering the Jordan River. And then they would have the Ammonites on their east. And then that was all of the land that was in present-day Jordan that they got. And then north of them, those three sons of Manasseh inherited the land of the Golan Heights and then the southwestern small little portion of what's now Syria. And so they had what was on their east was the Sea of Galilee. And then to their north, they had more of Syria, a little bit of Lebanon. And so this was the land that was inherited by those on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And it says that the Geshurites and the Machathites lived in that land with them because they never quite drove them out. And so we just know that there are some nations that are still within their land that don't get driven out. And that is all of chapter 13. This is, we're just going through it as Joshua is handing out the land. When we begin Joshua 14, the tribe of Judah comes to Joshua And specifically Caleb from that tribe. And he says, hey, remember how you and I were the only ones of the spies that wanted to come into this land? And God also promised us land, remember? And so now that you're handing out land to people who have already been promised land, I was one of those people. And I want to read to you what uh, Caleb said, because it's such a inspiring statement that he makes. And so this is Joshua 14, beginning in chapter six, in verse six. And it says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. And I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trod shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for coming and for going. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out just as he said. And so he has been waiting all of this time to defeat the giants. He said, remember how God told me that I would get this land that I walked on? Well, I was wanting to defeat the giants then. 
And I didn't get a chance to, but I believed that God was going to allow me the ability to do that. And I want to do it now. I'm still just as strong as I was then. God has not only kept me alive, but he has kept me strong. And so I want to go and defeat these people. This is the piece of land that I want, the land that the Anakim live on. And Joshua said, that sounds great. You can certainly have that piece of land. That is what God has promised to you. And so now that Caleb has received this inheritance, he's like, okay, well, I've already started with the tribe of Judah, so I'm just going to finish with the tribe of Judah. And so he allotted the basically the whole southern part of Israel to Judah. So he got everything that began at the mouth of the Jordan River all the way down the Salt Sea and then continued along Edom's border, which is now the border of Jordan, and went down a, a decent ways, but not all the way down to that tip. Israel makes a V and it goes down to that gulf there. And so they didn't get all of that land there. It just went across the wilderness of Zin, kind of made a U shape and hit the brook of Egypt and then followed that brook back north until it hit the Mediterranean Sea. And then it went all the way up that coastline. And then if you'll start their northern border, their northern border goes from the mouth of the Jordan River across the shoulder of Jerusalem. And then it kind of curves up north a little bit until it hits the Mediterranean Sea. So they have all of that land right now. That's what Joshua gives to them. Now, it says that the Jebusites still lived in Jerusalem at that time. And they weren't driven out until the time of David. And so they lived amongst them also in Judah's land. They did get a lot of land, but there was a lot of their land that was left to conquer because the whole coast was not conquered of their land. So it says the people of Gaza, Gath, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ekron were still living in the coastal region there. They had not defeated those people. And the name for the coastal people was Philistia. So those were the people that they would call the Philistines. They're from Philistia, from the coast. That was just their name for that. And whenever the Romans defeated the Israelites a hundred years or so after Jesus' death, they were so frustrated with the Israelites for continuously rebelling against their rule that they said, we've totally defeated you now. We are your rulers. And not only are we ruling Israel, but we're renaming Israel and we're going to rename it something just to taunt you. And so we know that you've been fighting with the Philistines all of this time. And so we are going to rename your land the land of the Philistines, which the Greek word for coastal people, Philistines, Philistia, was Palestine. And so this is where the word Palestine came from. It was actually Roman territory. There was never an independent state named Palestine, but Israel was renamed Palestine by the Romans to taunt the Israelites. And so these were the coastal people that they never defeated there. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea of who was in their land that they had not defeated. Also within this land 
were Jerusalem. I mentioned that. They had the southern part of Jerusalem. Someone else gets the northern part. And then also uh, Hebron, which is what the land that uh, Caleb inherits, and the land of Bethlehem. And along with being Jesus's birthplace, Bethlehem also is the place that Rachel, Jacob's wife, Jacob actually had two wives. You'll have to go back and read that whole story. But Rachel was the wife that he loved and he wanted, but the dad tricked him and gave him the older sister instead. And so he married both sisters. But Rachel is the one that he loved and she died on his way to Bethlehem and they buried her there. So this is the burial place of Rachel along with the place that Jesus was born. And then Hebron was a significant city, not just because Caleb inherits it as the city of the Anakim, but also because this is where God first made the promise to Abraham that he would inherit this land. And it's where Abraham actually settled. This is the land that Abraham lived in most of the time while he was there. And it's also the only piece of land that Abraham actually ever owned. He lived as a stranger in the land, it says. The only reason that he owned this piece of land is because when his wife Sarah died, he bought a piece of land in Hebron to bury her. And then when he died, his son Isaac, buried him in this same place. And then Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, are buried there. And then Jacob and his wife, Leah, are also buried there. So this is a very significant place in Israel. And Caleb inherits that. And this is in the land of Judah. And then, you know, Jerusalem is the place that Solomon builds the temple almost 500 years later. So these are just some prominent places in the land. And then also in chapter 15, it tells the story of how once Joshua gave Caleb the land, he went in and did defeat the Anakim living there. This was named Anakim because Anak was the father of these giants. And it had used to been called the town of Arba because Arba was the most significant giant in the town. And so Caleb renamed it, not the land of this significant giant, not the land of the giants, but Hebron, our land, no longer your land. This is what people would do when they would conquer lands. They would say, this isn't that land, it's this land. And that's what I was telling you the Romans did with Israel. So Caleb got this land of Hebron after he defeated the sons of Anakim. And then there was also a piece of land that Caleb wanted that was near there called Deborah. And he said, if anyone can defeat the people of Deborah, I will give them that land along with my daughter in marriage. And so Othniel said, I can go defeat them. And he did. And so Caleb gave him his daughter, Aksa. And she married Othniel and she went to her father and said, hey, since all of this is just desert land, can we also have some springs? And he said, sure, you can have some springs. And so this was the land that belonged to Caleb and his family and the whole southern part that belonged to Judah. And so I want to pause for a minute and talk about all of these people 
Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and Caleb, who all had to wait for their land. They had already been promised this land. The three or the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan had been promised this land seven years ago, 10 years ago nearly. And, but they hadn't gotten to have it, even though it was inhabitable at that time. And then Caleb and Joshua have been waiting really all their lives because they were born in Egypt and actually are the only people that actually left Egypt for the express purpose of, of inheriting this land. And then right after they got out, God, Moses sent those two as spies into the land along with 10 more and they got to see this land. So not only have they been waiting since they were born and living in Egypt, but they've really been waiting these last 45 years because they got to see how luscious and wonderful this land was and they didn't get to go in it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going into this land? You just left slavery. You're no longer a slave and no longer oppressed, no longer being uh, ruled by someone else that is not a good ruler anyway towards you. And then you think you're getting to go into this great land. You're excited. God's given you all the, the rules and you're getting ready. And then Moses sends you in and you see it and you say, oh my goodness, this is actually the land flowing with milk and honey. They said that it took two men to carry a cluster of grapes on a pole because it was that their produce was that, uh, you know, abundant. And so they've seen all of this. They wanted to go in then and nobody else did. And so they got punished along with the rest of the people. Now I say they got punished. Those people died <laughs> and God did preserve them. As Caleb said, God has kept his promise and preserved me all these 45 years. And he even kept his strength. So he wasn't punished in that sense, but he did have to wait. They had to wait for this land with, that they should have never had to wait for. And it was all because of these other people. And so I just wanted us to think about waiting for just a moment before we go into the next part and how, yes, waiting is difficult, but it would be easier if we were the two and a half tribes on the eastern side because they're waiting for fairness. The reason they have to wait is because it wouldn't be fair for them to get their land just because their land had already been conquered. Their brothers still had all of this fighting to do, and that would not have been fair. And so they were waiting for fairness. But Joshua and Caleb are waiting for unfairness. It was completely unfair to them that they had to wait, and yet they did. And so sometimes we have to wait because the world doesn't revolve around us, because there are other people and other uh, circumstances that are beyond our control, and sometimes we have to wait. But this shows us that God sees us in our waiting. God cares about us. He doesn't forget and he is going to, you know, give us whatever it is that he has for us in due time. We just have to be patient. And, you know, we see that Caleb was not only kept alive, but God also allowed him to keep his strength so that he could fight for this land. And then after all of the fighting, he let them live long enough to enjoy this land. And so that is also wonderful. And so God was taking care of these two people. Even though they had to wait, God was going to give them something that was completely worth the wait. God was taking care of them. 
And we just all need to know this about our Lord, that he is taking care of us and we just have to wait. And so I want to read you a couple of verses that pertain to this waiting. This is Psalm 27, 13 and 14. And it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so it. this person is saying, I'm not getting discouraged. I really believe I'm going to see your goodness here on this earth and not just in heaven. And so I'm waiting on you. I'm being courageous and I'm waiting on you and I'm not going to let myself get discouraged. And that is a great attitude. And then Psalm 37, three through five says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. God was able to bring this thing to pass, and they just had to trust on him. It says, uh, trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And so we have to just Feed on his faithfulness. Know that God is faithful. Delight yourself in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that we get the shiny red sports car, right? It just means that God, the things he does want to give abundance to his children. He does want to bless us and we will receive his blessings in due time in his ways. The things that he chooses to give to us, we just have to trust him. We have to trust that God is watching over us. He loves us. He cares for us. And the things that he wants to give to us, he has full ability to give to us. That's what this means. And then Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says, The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor grows weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. And so waiting on the Lord is worth it. That is what we can learn from these few tribes today. So don't get discouraged. Just trust in God and he can bring it to pass. Keep praying and just know that he has ability to do things and he hasn't forgotten. Okay, so we're going to move on. Now that he's given three of Manasseh's sons some land, he says, I'm going to give the rest of you seven sons your land. And Manasseh was one of Joseph's sons and his brother is Ephraim. And if you remember, Joseph got sold into slavery. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons was Joseph. His brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery and Jacob didn't see him again for many years. And when he saw him, 
he already had these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And presumably, Jacob wanted to bless Joseph double because of this separation that they had had. And so he said, these two sons that you already had before I got here, these two sons I'm going to take as my own. And so you're going to receive a double portion. You will have two of your sons will receive land. Two of your sons will be tribes, not just one. You will not be the tribe of Joseph. You will be with the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. And so Joshua allots land to Joseph's family, and then he splits it into these two tribes. And so the land that Joseph receives begins at the Jordan River and goes west, touching Jericho, extending into the hill country, and then curving north, going to Jezer and Bethel until it reaches the Mediterranean Sea. And its northern border extends from the Jordan River across the Jezreel Valley, goes north of Megiddo and Mount Carmel to the Mediterranean Sea. So the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea are its borders. Um, and then it's just got those northern and southern boundaries that I just described to you. And so this is what is now the northern portion of the West Bank and its adjacent Israel land that goes to the sea there. Some significant towns there were Shiloh, Samaria, Caesarea, and Shechem. Now, other than the burial land that Abraham bought in Hebron, the only other piece of land that any of the Israelites owned was this land in Shechem. When Jacob came back to the land, he bought this place in Shechem, but he didn't get to stay there because his sons uh, went on a killing spree of the people of Shechem because one of the men raped their sister Dinah. And so they tricked the men into getting circumcised. And then when those men were hurting, they made war against them and killed them. And so Jacob had to run away from this land and he didn't get to keep it. But that's what this land of Shechem is. This was the only other piece that they owned and it was owned by Jacob. And so Ephraim received just a narrow piece in the south. And then the half tribe of Manasseh received all of the rest, every bit that was left in the north. Now, they're called the half-tribe of Manasseh, even though that's not actually half of the tribe because there were three on the western side and seven brothers on the eastern side. But it was just because their land was split in half. So they called them half a tribe, half a tribe on each side of the river. The people of Ephraim never drove the Canaanites out of the land of Gezer. And so those people lived amongst them until they were able, until they got strong enough to submit them to slavery or servitude. And about 500 years later, uh, actually the king of Egypt conquered this land and gave this land to King Solomon as a gift, along with his daughter as his wife. And so they eventually were defeated, but it wasn't by the Israelites. It was by the king of Egypt. And so the Canaanites lived in several towns, also in Manasseh's territory. They were also subjected to forced labor when they got strong enough. And it's kind of odd, just as a little side note, that they 
didn't defeat them. When they got strong enough to submit them to forced labor, you would think they would get strong enough to defeat them. And so why didn't they? Because God told them to utterly defeat the people in the land. He was giving them the land, but then they were still supposed to be fighting. They weren't supposed to just quit just because they got the land. God said, hey, the big war that needs all 12 tribes to fight it, that war is over. But as you get your land, you can begin, you can need to continue fighting against these people in this land and utterly defeat them. And they didn't do that. And if they're strong enough to put them to forced labor, they also should have been strong enough to defeat them. And so why didn't they? Who knows? I mean, are they already their friends? Have they already adopted some of their ways, which is why God didn't want them to do it in the first place? Did they just want the benefit of their labor? Who knows? But it doesn't benefit them in the end that they don't do what God told them to do. This does not help them out. Because these people all are problems as they allow them to stay there. Now, also, another little part about Joseph's family is one of Manasseh's sons did not have any sons of his own to hand his land down to. And so whenever Joshua, whenever Moses was telling these two and a half tribes, about the land that they were going to inherit, the daughters of this man, uh, Zelophehad, they he, they came to Moses and they said, wait, what's going to happen to our father's land? Because he doesn't have any sons to hand the land down to. And Moses was like, I do not know the answer to this question because we don't normally give land to women. But also, yeah, your dad didn't have any sons. So let me talk to God. And God said, yes, these daughters of Zelphehad are right. They, their father was an honorable man and he should get, his name should be allowed to live on through his land. And so you can give this land to his daughters. And God also made a law that day and said, not only these daughters, but any time that a man does not have any sons, then his land should go to his daughters. And when Moses told the rest of the Israelites this new law and what was going to happen to Zelophehad's daughters, the other brothers said, wait, so one of our brother's land is going to go to women. What happens if those women decide to get married? Because that's the reason we don't give land to women in the first place. It's not because they're, you know, worth less than the men. They're not invaluable to God. It's just that when the women marry, then their land would go to their husband's family. It has to go to one or the other. If you have family land and you get married, then it's just like my name. My name changed because when I have child, then my child's name. It has to either be my husband's name or my name, and it is always the man's name. And it's the same thing with this land. And so he said, there's a reason we don't give land to women, because if we give it to the women, then when they get married, then our family land will go to their family, and we don't want that. And Moses said, hmm, yeah, I get that. Let me go back and talk to God. And God said, yes, these men are also right. So here's what I'm going to do. These women have to marry within their tribe. They cannot marry someone in another tribe that could take their tribe's land. And so they have to marry someone with their last name. That would be how that would work. 
And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a brother or something. I have cousins, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth cousins that have my maiden name. And if I were to be one of those daughters, then I would need to marry a, a distant cousin. Back then, they could marry closer uh, kin because there were less people on the earth. The bloodlines were more pure. The mutations and genetic de defects weren't there and all of that. Eventually, God gives the command that they're not allowed to do that anymore, but they can at this point. And so they uh, are told they have to marry within their tribe, but they can have some of this land. So when God is giving this land to uh, Manasseh's seven sons, one of those is goes to uh, Zelophehad. One of the sons is Zelophehad, and he has five daughters, and the land goes to his five daughters. So this is just a little more information about uh, past history, things that are going on as he's giving this land out. And so don't think that, you know, God didn't care about the women. It's just because it it, it was to keep, it was for the sake of preserving the land and preserving the family name. And that's why the daughters wanted it in the first place. They wanted their dad to be honored. They didn't want him to lose his land. And so God was taking care of this man, even though he had no sons and wasn't around to take care of himself. Now, the last part, this is in chapter 17, Ephraim goes to Joshua and he says, hey, so we got all of this land from the Jordan to the Mediterranean, all of this land that is, um, you know, a decent portion. All of this goes to Joshua, to Joseph's children. But um, Manasseh gets like almost all of it. And we just get this kind of small sliver here in the South. What's that about? Um, why don't we get it? Like, why are we getting Joseph's land? Why aren't we getting Manasseh and Ephraim's land? And why does Ephraim get such a small sliver? And Joshua says, you know, if you don't like the land that you've already been given, then you can go to the north. There's plenty of forest land up there. You can defeat the people that live in that land and you can clear it out and you can have that. No problem. And <laughs> Ephraim's like, yeah, well, that's not what I want. I don't want to have to go up there and fight for the land and then clear it out and all of that. Why are you just not giving us a appropriate piece of land? And remember how I said earlier, have you ever tried to complain to an 85-year-old man? Caleb's like, um, yeah, I'm 85 and I just fought some giants for my land. And so I think you can go up north and fight some giants for your land and clear some of it out. You've got a brother, you and your brother, Manasseh, y'all can, uh, your tribes together, y'all can defeat these people. God is with you. I don't really want to listen to your whining. Can't really go to the 85-year-old man that just fought and say, I don't want to fight, right? He doesn't want to listen to it. And so... Ephraim does go and get a little bit of Manasseh's land up in the north. They don't fight too terribly much up there, the other people, but they take some of Manasseh's land and use it as their own, whatever they share. And so the other thing that we can learn from this passage is 
all of these people were supposed to not stop fighting, but continue to fight the people that were living in their land. And then also, if you're not satisfied with what you're given, don't whine about it. Don't complain about it. Just do a little extra work. You know, it's great to be given things, but when you're being, you know, it's the whole beggars can't be choosers thing. If you're being given something, you can't whine about what people give you. If you want more than what you're given, then do a little work for it. Take a little responsibility. Don't go whine to people who have all worked for the things that they've gotten and say, I don't have everything I want, all of that. No, just if you don't have everything you want, you haven't been dealt a good hand. You know, it seems like other people have been dealt a better hand than you. They were born into a better family. They were born into a better economy. They were born into a having better talents or abilities or whatever and you don't have the job you want and you don't have the place to live you want and all of those things it's like you know that's the breaks <laughs> sometimes it happens like that the lot you're dealt is not always the lot that you want and you can sit and you can whine about it or you can go do something about it you can work a little bit extra, a little more than maybe someone else might have to work. But if you want it, then you can get that, right? That's kind of what he was saying. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. All things. Good luck with that, right? But it is definitely something for us to strive for. And we don't want to be victims. We do not want to be victims. It's not a fun place to be. It's not fun to sit there and feel like we don't have everything we want and it's somebody else's fault. They didn't give us what we wanted and definitely not God, right? It's not his fault. He didn't, the lot didn't fall to us as we wanted it to. Well, you know what? That's life. This is not heaven. Everything is not perfect. You do have to do stuff to get the things that you want sometimes. It's just the way it is. And we can whine about it, but it's not going to change anything. So we might as well do something about it. Now, the daughters of Zelophehad, they did do something about it. They thought this isn't quite fair. And so um, they inquired about it and spoke up, stood up for their dad. And they thought they were entitled to this and it seems that God agreed. Yes, you are entitled to this. Sometimes we are entitled to things. There are things that we do deserve and we just need to speak up a bit. And then there are other times when we say, hey, I think that, you know, I deserve as much as this guy got. And God's like, no, you don't. You, I gave you what I wanted to give you. If you want more, do a little extra for it. So. But we had both sides of this happening today. And then also we had the, you know, people that inherited their land and just didn't want to defeat the people that were living there. They were satisfied completely with what Joshua gave them, right? So satisfied that they didn't even want to fight anymore for it. They're like, eh, fine. This is good enough. We don't want to be those people either, right? We need to be ambitious, trying hard, being willing to work for things not sitting around, feeling entitled, asking people to give us things, but also not being 
dissatisfied with what we are given and what we have at the moment to the extent that we can't be happy or, you know, anything like that. There is a fine line, right, between having the drive to go and and get better. Like, if I want it, I'm going to go work hard for it and I'm going to get it. And then being so dissatisfied that you're down. I heard the other day, this was a great uh, thing that that I heard that I think applies to this. This man said that um, both pessimists and optimists are of no use to him. He said, I don't want to be pessimistic or optimistic because neither one of those people fight. The pessimists don't fight because they think no use. And the optimists don't fight because they think eh, everything will be okay. No reason to fight. And he said, I don't want to live like that. I want to continue to always have my drive. I want to want more. But I also don't want to be dissatisfied to where I'm discouraged and whiny and complaining. And so that is something for us to all strive for today. So next week, we're going to talk about the other seven tribes and then just the promises of God. We're going to talk about Abraham a little bit and how God fulfilled all of the promises to Abraham all throughout the way and how it, you know, it took 500 years, but God did do it. And how we also, the most important part, how we also have a promised land in heaven waiting for us. And so please subscribe so you don't miss that episode. It is a good one. This one is fact-based and not got a ton of self, self-application. That's the way some of these uh, lessons are. And when you go through the Bible and you don't skip anything, that's the way it goes sometimes. But next week will be very inspiring. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Also, not doing a blog post over this type of thing, but I will have a blog post over our promised land. So make sure that you're looking for that on the website. And then if you do want this written lesson, it is much easier if you are reading this lesson. Um, then go to livethroughjesus.substack.com and subscribe. You'll have to subscribe to get the whole lesson. You can get part of it for free and then you'll have to subscribe for either $6 a month or $60 a year in order to get the written lesson. But this one is one that you might want a written lesson for and you can get just this month if you want and then cancel. And so it'll cost you six bucks to get four lessons that would cover this. And also, actually, you get all the rest of them before this. So you can, for $6, if you don't want to keep your subscription, you can get Deuteronomy and all that we've done in Joshua And you can see this written part if that's something that you want. If you don't, all of this is on here for free. It's just, for me, hard to hear. I would rather see it written. So if you're like that, then you can go and do that. Otherwise, just keep on listening to the podcast or the YouTube episodes, and I'll see you back next week. Thanks. Have a good day. (laughs) 